Hello and welcome to Horror Cult Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And today we're bringing you an extra special bonus episode where we are yet again covering the fantastic Glasgow Film Festival. Yeah, really pleased to, uh, to have been invited for press yeah. screenings again. Um, really enjoyed last year. Really enjoyed this year. Yeah, yeah they always put together one of the best lineups of all the festivals. Um, and this year is absolutely no exception. And I guess we should probably give a bit of a heads up as to what to expect from this episode. So when you think Glasgow Film Festival, you probably think of the bigger films first. Uh, we only, we didn't get to make it to Glasgow, unfortunately. So unfortunately, we won't be covering the Glasgow Fright Fest films. Uh, and we won't be covering any of, uh, any of the ones that weren't included with the digital library. But the idea of the episode is to give you some recommendations of films that you might not get to see necessarily unless you, you know, know about them and look for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we're going to give you 10 films here that I personally, and I'm sure Gary agrees, would um, really fit into anyone's watch list. Yeah, Put absolutely. it on their box, put it on your watch list. Hopefully you'll get a little notification at some point saying... You know, one of these films has been added to a streaming service, yeah. or if you remember and you see it at the your local cinema, or yeah, I was gonna say summer. I think some are getting theatrical releases. Hopefully, so yeah, uh, or or yeah. you see the Blu-ray or DVD at some point. I think you know, Gary and Chris said they highly recommend. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and of course, with these all being new films that are yet to be released, there will be no spoilers at all. No spoilers. So I'm going to start with two, I'll say a brief thing about two films that I watched that Chris didn't get to watch. Um, busy, busy gal, oh, Chris. You know, you know, I work hard, I play hard, and it's just not enough hours in the day sometimes. So I'm first, I'm going to... and blessed, yes. I think is what they'd say. Yeah. First of all, I'm going to talk about a film that I know is getting a theatrical release um, a little later this year. Uh, and it is God's Creatures, which uh, unfortunately stars Paul Mescal as a piece of shit. Everyone's favourite Oscar nominee. But that's exactly why it's perfect casting. Mm. Uh, because it completely goes against type as to what you'd expect from Paul Mescal. And it, it really, yeah, it, it works. It, it really works. It's fantastic performances. Uh, it is directed by Anna Rose Homer and Sailor Davis. And uh, also stars Emily Watson, who is as fantastic as always, as is uh, Eileen Fransosi. Um, all three provide fantastic performances, beautifully shot. Uh, it does require a lot of patience. It is a slow burner, but the payoff is absolutely worth the wait. And it's Irish as well, it is. isn't it? It is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, it's just, it's a must watch. But again, you know, if you're like a slow burner, this is the film for you. Uh, and secondly, Skin Deep, which uh, I was massively surprised by. Uh, it is directed by Alex Shad and... Uh, it's a body swap film with a difference. Now, when it first started, it kind of had some of the same imagery as Get Out and Midsommar. So I thought, okay, this is going to be perhaps a ripoff 
of those two, you know, two popular horror films. We should knew this would happen eventually. Um, but no, actually complete opposite. This is actually one of the most unique and original films I've seen in quite some time. Because with body swap films, you you know the premise, you know where it's going to go, beat for beat. This is completely different and actually takes uh, an, an actual LGBTQ plus direction with it. Uh, with some really great allegories on, you know, heteronormative lifestyle and what we're forced into and, you know, finding the body that you're comfortable in, uh, as well as taking a look at, you know, rough relationships and stuff. It's it's absolutely fantastic. And honestly, one I, I wish you got to see. Yeah, I have to say I was gutted to have missed um, that one. It sounds like my kind of film. And... You know, no spoilers, but did, did they win Battle of the Bands? Oh, wait, sorry, wrong body swap. It's not quite Freaky Friday. <laughs> um, But yeah, so those are the two that I watched that Chris didn't watch. So let's get into our ten that we both watched. Ooh. Starting with The Beasts. Beasts. Which is dir- directed by Rodrigo Saragoyan. And it is... A film about a French couple who have been living in a small village for a long time in uh, Galicia. And uh, they practice eco-responsible agriculture, restore abandoned houses to facilitate the repopulation. And uh, everything should be idyllic for them. But they have some neighbours that basically want to fuck things up for them. And uh, tensions rise and it is intense yeah it gives me the same energy as straw dogs um, is, yeah yeah i mean it's... i haven't seen the original straw dogs sadly i've only seen the remake which is terrible don't at me um <laughs> but yeah no it absolutely gives those uh, it's those very films. very similar in premise to straw dogs and it's it's that fear of um well people really mm. <laughs> the, the fear of getting on the wrong side of people and it's like well, what do you do you know, and it's that's that kind of premise is always sort of because it feels very real. It it's always sort of been more horrific than a lot of the horror films yeah. that we watch. Um, I thought it was incredibly tense, really well acted. Um, it it's another maybe a slow burn as well, but it it, it that's really integral to the tension yeah to a certain extent um because once you realize these tensions are in place you never know where it's going to go next mm. and it, it it really is uh quite unnerving and it takes a really interesting look as well at xenophobia um jealousy and the failure of law and how those three things come together could be so fucking dangerous if you cross the wrong people yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I thought it was very well acted. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. I thought it was uh, very well shot. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite a beautiful film at points. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I this one I, I highly recommend. Now, obviously, we're horror cult trash other. And th- this these films that we're going to discuss, the ten films, aren't heavy on the horror aspects. I felt this one was probably the most... Yeah. Horror-esque. Yes. If you, if you like your scary films, if you like your tense films... Yeah. This one I definitely highly recommend. Yeah, and it's also largely unpredictable as well. You know, I said we weren't going to spoilers. 
uh, and we won't, but I will say there is a big turning point in this film that I really did not see coming. And when it happened, it it kind of leaves you thinking, oh, okay, what's going to happen now for the rest of the film? How can it go from here? And it, it really, it, it gets even better. It always, it to me, felt very real. Yeah. And the characters felt very real. And I felt that was very important mm-hmm. to the film. And the reaction of the audience. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. Really, really highly recommend. Next up, we have Victim, uh, or Obey, as it's also known, directed by Michael Blasco. And uh, this is a drama about Irina, who lives with her son Igor in a small Czech border town. When she discovers Igor has been assaulted by three Romas, her whole world comes crashing down, and as time goes on, Arena begins to spot inconsistencies in his story. Yeah, this was a very interesting one. Very timely, I'm assuming. Um, oh, I'm not sure if it would have been shot before the um, war in Ukraine. Um, but they are Ukrainian immigrants. Yeah. And again, another film that deals with the idea of xenophobia. Yeah. Of the fear of people around us. Yes. Very real people. And a mother-son relationship. Mm. And potentially what a mother would do to protect her son. Yeah. I mean, without giving away the big... The answer to the big question as to whether he's telling the truth or not. You do find out in the film fairly early on and again like i said about the beast you know you kind of think oh, okay well now that we know what's going to happen next uh, but it adds layers yeah. to the film it has it has a lot of layers um and it really gets you thinking and the cast do such a good job um you know vita smart uh Smart-Eliuk, who plays irena she is fantastic and it's very easy to become invested in where she's going to go next, whether or not you like or agree with it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those premises where you can put yourself in the same situation and you ask the question, well, what would I do? What would I do in this situation? Mm. You know, and uh, I, I think that's in some part to do with the acting as well. Yeah. It, it's not over the top. It's very realistic. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, Obviously, highly recommend. Yeah. Also, another film that deals with uh, the failure of law as well. Um, In the way that one of the first questions Igor is asked after his attack is, was your attacker white? Yes. It heavily deals with race and how, you know, one character in particular, one thing is said that it could potentially have been them that attacked this guy... And he's in prison. With like, he's he's t- he's arrested yeah. immediately. Yeah, I th- I think it very deliberate that the accused are Roma. Yeah, I think yeah. De- definitely, definitely it brings up the issues with that as well, um, as well as xenophobia yeah. towards you know the Ukrainian immigrants. Yeah, very multi layered. Yes. Next up, we have Night Siren. Which is directed by Teresa Voto- Votova. Excuse my pronunciations there. <laughs> uh, and this is actually a horror film. Following yeah, um, straight up. 
a young woman who returns to her native mountain village searching for answers about her troubled childhood, but as she tries to uncover the truth, ancient superstitions lead the villagers to accuse her of witchcraft and murder. So it's a folklore, a uh, folk horror. Yeah, not like any other traditional folk horror film. So when I say horror, the horror is, I'd say, kept to an absolute minimum because it's more effective when it is used. I mean, I loved this film. I thought it was fantastic. Um, very interesting way of looking at witchcraft and folk horror, especially for a, for a female gaze, because it heavily deals with, you know, misogyny and patriarchal society. And mm. uh, it deals with that within a small village. And it's, it's incredibly interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's so refreshing to see this kind of folklore horror story being told specifically through a, a, a female voice. Yeah. It, this is a film that is very centred on the, the, you know, the feminine, on women, on the treatment of women. Mm -hmm. Men are very much secondary characters, and it's the better for it. Yeah. You know, when it comes to witchcraft... Not witchcraft films, but witch hunt films, mm -hmm. should I say. You know, my mind always goes to the Witchfinder General. Yeah. Well, that's centred on a man. Yeah. That's centred on, on him. Whereas in, in this circumstance, and it, it's... It's quite... Mo it's modern set, isn't it? It's not set in yeah, the yeah, past. Yeah. Um, so it's really refreshing to see that from a modern perspective... And I think it can be used as an allegory for so many, yeah, so many um, issues in modern day mm -hmm. towards the treatment of women. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. It actually it would make a really good companion piece with uh, women talking. Yeah, that's true. In the way that, that it's set in, you know, a certain community that is so old fashioned and you know conservative and ultra religious. Mm. Um, and you know, the fact, the thought that women could do anything for themselves here and, you know, be treated the same way as the men is just absolutely shocking to the male characters. Um, but yeah, no, it's, yeah, if, if you could do them as a double bill, do them as a double bill. Uh, it also has the best orgy scene you'll see all year in the film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the visuals in that scene in particular, but throughout, are very good. Yeah. One thing I did find with a lot of the films at Glasgow Film Festival, the scenery was beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The the scenery was beautiful. There's a lot of films sort of set in coastal towns or in woods or farmlands, you know, and this one in particular, I thought it looked fantastic. Yeah. Also, a little bit queer as well. Oh, I yeah. Love. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. add a little bit. Lesbian uh, witches, mm -hmm. I'm there for it. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of beautiful looking films, next up we have Ramona, which is directed by Andrea Bagni. And uh, it is about Ramona, of course, and her boyfriend Nico, who returned to Madrid, where she hopes to restart her acting career. The evening before her first audition, she meets Bruno, an older man, and the following day at the audition, she discovers that Bruno is the director of the film. This was... A very short film. This is like an hour and ten, hour and twenty, something like that. Hour and twenty. Um, and it gets so much done within that small amount of time. Yeah, I find it very refreshing, and I'm sure I've said this plenty of times on the podcast, 
when a film doesn't feel the need to be longer than it has to be. Mm -hmm. It tells its story, it tells it very well, and it gets it done. Yeah. It didn't feel the need to add 10 minutes of guff or crap. No. Just for the sake of it. You know, it was like, no, we've told our story, hour and 20 minutes, you know, do a 10 minute meditation if you afterwards if you want. Uh, and it's actually a, a lot of films deal with very heavy themes this year at Glasgow Film Festival. Um, you know, very important themes. This just felt like it existed to be a love letter to French New Wave cinema. It's yeah, old school romance. Yeah, it was. It was. It was an old school romance, definitely. Um, very refreshing. Oh, you know, like. And if I had to remember sort of thing mm. going on, you know, but from a sort of French new wave, yeah. slightly kind of Woody Allen-esque, yeah. kind of some neurosis on display here. Mm-hmm. Um, very talky, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I, I really, I really liked it. I, I loved how Madrid looked on, I just, on film. Yeah, I really want to say... go there. I would say out of all of them, this had my favourite cinematography. The fact that it's shot in black and white really works, especially yeah. towards the new wave cinema, French new wave cinema homage. Yeah, and as as like Gary, as Gary said, the themes with a lot of these films and a lot of Glasgow Film Festival in general, and it's, it, you know it's not a disservice to the festival, but they're very heavy, mm-hmm. and it was so refreshing to have a light romantic film yeah almost a cute film really mm-hmm. um it was so refreshing to to have that and i i again i i fully recommend it you know it's a cute date film yeah really a, a kind of date film i know it's quite talky but madrid looked fantastic yes. and it was yeah fun time and on to the complete opposite, uh, the heaviest of themes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have Rice Boy Sleeps, which is directed by Anthony Shim. And it is about a uh, South Korean mother who raises her young son in the suburbs of Canada, determined to provide a better life for him than the one she left behind. Set in the 1990s. It is, yeah. This, honestly shot to the top of being one of my favourite films of the year because this is just... It's like a slightly more downbeat version of Minari. Yes. In a way. Um, And it is just absolutely fantastic. Absolutely heart-wrenching and compelling in in every way possible. Um, You could tell this was based on the director's story as a child. Mm. Because uh, there's a, l- it's so sincere, and it just, yeah, it's just one that really grabs you and does not let you go throughout its lengthy two-hour runtime. Yeah, um, I thought the acting was fantastic. I really, really appreciated. Um, and it was her first film, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Choi Seung Yoon yeah. as So Young. And uh, I thought she was absolutely phenomenal she was. in the film. I really appreciated the themes. I thought the very, you know, the mother, the single mother and son, the sort of cultural, um, I want to say battle, but the, the, the cultural sort of differences mm. 
um, between her as a South Korean immigrant and her son, who was raised in Canada uh, with a very sort of Western sensibility. Um, I thought that was fascinating. I thought it was, looked fantastic. I, I loved that sort of 90s theme to mm -hmm. it, you know, the 90s yeah. look that they got really well. It was, you know, heart-wrenching at times. Felt very human. It, it was a very human story. Yes. And uh, yeah, it, it was, it's the one, I, we're not ranking this in any way, but it was my favourite. It was my favourite, yeah. I think if, if there's one film that you remember us talking about today and you get on that watch list, for me, it's Rice Boy Sleeps. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I just, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And some of the themes it deals with are racism, identity and family relationships. And it's a, it's a really great blend of all of them where, you know, nothing really outshines the other. It, it's just, it brings them all together and it really works. And what's really nice is, especially during the first half, is the character of So Young, she is like, she's so empowering. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you get to see the racism on display that they had to put up with when they first moved, um, when they first moved. And she just stands for none of it. And the actress really portrays that strength so well. It's just, it, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's where the title comes from. Yeah. You know, it's it sort of, I think it's, I'm assuming, and we're assuming that it's based on the director and writer's story. Oh, no, it is. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to take that and to take that you know, trauma, really, from, from that sort of racism um, that he went through when he was younger and to sort of put it in the title. Yeah. I mean, owning that. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's just so great in itself. Yeah, it is. Next up, we have a very, a much lighter film. Uh, we have Band, which is directed by Alfred Olnolf Stoddartier. I really hope I got that. That's right. not. That's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I say that as if I know myself. So this is a documentary following an all-female Icelandic band called the Post Performance Blues Band, uh, who are trying to make it big in their middle age. Now, when I was when we were watching this, actually, I will say because I believe you thought the same. Um, I was under the assumption that this was a fake band. Uh, I was confused. I, you know, I thought this is, you know, this is Spinal Tap, Flight of Concords, etc., etc. You know, I thought it was a mockumentary. Because um, even to call it a documentary is, it feels like a stretch because at, at, the, at this point when I thought they were a fake band, because it was very much shot like a narrative film. Mm. I honestly appreciated the film even more when I read about it after I finished watching it because I loved it when I watched it, but... I, this is a real band. Mm. This is a real band. And the director is part of the band. This is their way of making a documentary. And it is incredible. I am still confused in a good way. Because like Gary said, I thought it was a mockumentary. And then I found that it was a documentary. And I thought, well, well how much of this is deliberate? Because it, it's wacky. Oh, yeah. Their story is very strange. Their music is very strange. 
but I felt really connected to them. Yeah. And I really liked them. And it's... I wanted them to succeed. Yeah. Even though I knew that they were way too... I mean, their art, their music was way too out there. Yeah. <laughs> like, even like... Um, Remind me, it's it's Iceland, it's Icelandic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, even for Iceland, which has created, you know, Bjork, who is mm-hmm. out there, even by their standards, this is strange music. Yeah. And uh, I just, it was hilariously funny It was. Times. Very self-aware. Very, Very self-aware. They, you know, they're not afraid to laugh at themselves. They know how ridiculous they are. But what's... I feel like that was the point. Yeah, absolutely. And I do feel like... Even though it was a documentary, I think a lot of it was created for the documentary. Yeah. Um, it's very much got the same premise as Totally Scott Lee oh, in the 2000s. You know, they're, they're trying to see if they can make it big or not. Yeah. They're just going to give up if they can't. Oh, yeah, of course. So it totally, is, totally Scott Lee. Totally, totally Scott Lee. Clearly a big influence. Um, wow. Is Lisa Scott Lee big in Iceland? Maybe. Um but yeah, no, it's uh, so funny. And also really interesting as well, taking a look at middle-aged women in the music industry um, trying to make it big. And sort of some of the reactions they get, regardless of how weird they are, um, some of the reactions they get, I feel like any female band of that age would also struggle just because of the nature of the music industry. I Yeah, I think there's something to be said about like some of the insulting offers they had, like, you know, yeah. pay you with beer and yes. and so on. Relatable, guys. Relatable. Yeah. Relatable content. <laughs> um, yeah, it it really is such a fantastic film. And it's really touching in parts as well, especially once you realise that this is, you know, the band themselves making this. Um, yeah, it's funny and it's silly, but it actually does say something yeah. about the place of middle-aged women in art and in society yeah and there there is a place or there should be a place for them yeah that isn't necessarily there or available at yeah. the moment yeah can't recommend that one enough next up we have lullaby which is directed by alada rudy azua and this is a film about motherhood as about amaya who's just become a mother and decides to return for guidance after a partner, to return home for guidance after a partner is temporarily away um, to a parent's house uh, along the Basque coast. Oh my God. This film has the most stressful opening 10 minutes of any film released this year. Like Ed coming home with the baby and having her family around and constantly trying to dictate what she does. And it's like, Oh my god, this is stressful. This is anxiety inducing. Like, it doesn't stop for air during those first 10 minutes. And what I really enjoy here is the poetic filmmaking and this first half of her struggling to be a mother. And we get to see what her mother's like, who is not a likable character. The actress who plays her does a fantastic job, but she is not likable at all. And then when it takes a turn and she becomes the one looking after her mother, it all starts to make sense and it all starts to fit together really well. It the film does something that I I, I really appreciate and it, it it brings me into a story and makes me care about a story. Yeah. A story that I can't relate to. Mm-hmm. So I am not 
sort of uh, what would the word be paternally <laughs> uh, inclined? I yeah. Uh, I mean, like after five minutes, I'd be like, "Oh, girl, just get rid of it. <laughs> just go, just leave it. Enjoy yourself." Joe, obviously joking, <laughs> obviously joking, but I can't relate. I mean, I I feel like she should have got rid of it before she gave birth. Oh, yeah, don't say that. What? <laughs> just told me off. I wasn't even that. Sure, she should have had an abortion. It would have saved uh, all the hassle. Well, she wanted the child. <laughs> But it does, it does, it made me invested in that story. And I appreciated that, you know, it, it, it means it's a good film. If yeah. you can make me invested in something that I don't necessarily can relate or, or, or care about, let's be honest. It also makes a unlikable character. Uh, it made me care about mm. her by the end. Even though I still think she's an horrible cow, yeah, I I cared about that, and it humanized the character, and it, it humanized every character, and it, it told a story, it told it well, and it felt real, yeah. And by the end of it, it didn't matter that you know I didn't like the character of her mother. Mm-hmm. I still cared about her, and I cared about everyone by the end of mm. the film, and. Going into it, and I, I read the premise. I was like, "Oh, I'll probably switch it off after ten minutes." Not even, no, not not true, because I was invested and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was yeah. fantastic. Leia Costa and Susie Sanchez are both absolutely terrific as uh, the mother and daughter duo, and their chemistry is just so realistic and really, really moving in some scenes as as the film goes on. Um, I really liked how we learned so much about the mother character, the the uh, Begona character, as the film went on. Because, uh, you know, at first, like you said, you know, it's just very much she's a controlling mother um, who's trying to control what her daughter does with her child. And it, you know, she's not likable. But then you learn about her past and some of the things she has to put up with. And it's, yeah, it's just really well written and well directed. Um, revealing all the stuff as it goes on. It's just, yeah, really good. And uh, recommended by uh, Pedro Almodovar. Yeah, he called it the best debut in Spanish cinema for years. And kind of similar in theme to um, not not one of our favourite films of last year, Husera. Parallel Mothers. Oh. Husera. (laughs) I was going to say Parallel Uh, Mothers. Not Parallel. It's got in tone. It's It's not as camp as Almodovar's films. No. But the the story itself yeah. is quite similar to you know Husera from oh from absolutely last year, one yeah of our it favorite. is like a non horror version yeah yeah absolutely and that sort of um, sort of generational sort of uh, issues yeah and also kind of thinking have I done the right mm-hmm. thing was this correct yeah yeah very very interesting. Next up, we have uh, a film I believe is getting some sort of uh, theatrical release. It's given, yeah. I think if any of these films gets a wide release, I think it will be this yes, one. We have I Like Movies, uh, which is directed by Chandler Levac, and it's about an, a socially inept 17 year old cinephile. 
as he gets a job at a video store where he forms a complicated friendship with his older female manager. Now, talking about putting unlikable characters oh at the centre of your films. <laughs> I've, I've, it's not often, well, actually, it's sometimes quite often, I watch a film and I think, oh my God, why has no one slapped you yet? Yeah. With a character, and especially at the front of the film, at, at the forefront as the protagonist, I was like, Jesus Christ. I thought this guy's unbearable, but again, by the end of the film, I was like, "Oh wait, I'm invested." I mean, I still think he could have oh, done with a couple oh of slaps. God. No, I still hated him. By Did the end you of still the film. hate him? I was. Oh no, I was invested by the. This end. is why I am so impressed with this film because the fact that this film made me interested in someone that I could not stand watching. Mm. That's impressive. Yeah, like I was, I was invested. I still don't like him, but I was so invested with where this was going. And it looks like it was made in 2002. It really, it, it genuinely does. They've done it. They did a really good job with that. It really, it's given me um like Napoleon Dynamite, mm. the look of, of that. They really did well with that one. I have to say it definitely looked like 2002. Like the recreation of the video store. It looked fantastic. I loved all the and as a, a cinephile myself but maybe a little more uh maybe a little less socially inept uh i did appreciate all the references to films of 2002 yeah i did it's just every so often you would see a poster or they'd re- reference a film uh what was it was it punch drunk punch love, drunk love. That he was obsessed with that he went to see uh very funny somewhat relatable maybe <laughs> Um, it's nice to see a so-called love letter to cinema that's a little different to what we've been seeing recently. Because let's face it, since the start of the year, we've had fucking three of them. Uh, and then this one come along and it just takes a completely different approach to it. and does it in its own way. And it really works. Yeah, it, it's kind of brought to life on screen uh, letterbox users that comment on posts saying, oh, the MCU... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I've got fatigue. MCU fatigue is given that yeah. I thought, which was a compelling story. By the end, I I really liked it. I thought it was very funny, again very human. Yeah, uh, I don't know why I keep throwing that word out there, but I will continue. Very human. These people felt very real, and I was invested. Yeah, surprisingly, a film that deals with misogyny as well, despite having a male yes. lead character. Um it very much shows the ignorance towards women in film from around that time. And, yeah. and you know, yeah. something that's still sadly taking place now. Um, I quite like this. It, it almost, I suppose, in a way, a revisionist history of mm, 2002. Yeah. Where it can bring to the forefront, you know, if this film had been made in 2002, he would have been unbearable from start to finish. And it would have been gratuitous or yeah. he he would have, you know, felt someone up in a car. Yeah. It, the story wouldn't have been him trying to become a director. The story would have been him trying to get laid before going off to college. Yeah. And maybe it's right in a few wrongs of those mm-hmm. sort of films. Maybe, you know, by by mentioning the misogyny, by sort of... Really, because I think it's a very deliberate choice to make him unlikable. You know, mm-hmm. his behaviour is 
you know, in many ways, it's kind of like The Office. It showed that, you know, I'm not hugely familiar, but the way that David Brent is, you know, he's not meant to be liked. Mm. He's meant to, in many ways, be ridiculed or, you know, because of his behaviour. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was quite refreshing because if this had been made 20 years ago, yeah, it would have had five gratuitous nudity scenes. Yeah. You know, the women, the female characters would be non-existent. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's right in a few wrongs of that. Yeah. So next up, we have Lemon Sita, directed by Emmanuel Crayolace. And it's the story of love between Clara and her children set in Rome in the 70s. A film about a mother starring mother. Yeah. Penelope L Cruz. Let's make one thing incredibly clear right here, right now. Penelope Cruz absolutely slays in this film. Yeah. She looks beautiful. She is dressed immaculately. She really, she's serving, she's serving looks throughout. Um, that, for me, you know, may be the most memorable part of the film, but that's not to say it isn't a fantastic film. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Penelope Cruz is by far the best thing the about it. The best this film. thing. It about is a good film. film, but she is the best thing about it. She is. She is. She gives a great performance. There's levels of camp that yeah. I wasn't expecting. Musical numbers. I think if anything was like a, a, a Moldova film, this is it definitely was this. very, yeah. Very Pedro yeah. A Moldova. Yeah, absolutely. And it has a massive focus on an LGBTQ storyline as well. Given its time period that it's set in, uh, dealing with a trans story in the 70s, very interesting. Yeah. And from a trans yeah. uh, film director. Yeah, again, you know, very much a film based on filmmaker's youth. Yes. Um, and it, yeah, it's it's just fantastic. And to have something that has some really serious themes in there, you know, such as domestic abuse um, and, you know, being afraid to live your life because of your parents disapproving mm -hmm. of you being trans, uh, you know, having some heavy themes such as that in this film and it's still managing, managing to pull off some campus tits musical numbers. That's impressive. Yeah. And I also appreciated that it's set in Italy during yeah. the seventies. So absolutely like a giallo film. <laughs> yeah. There are moments, yeah. And that's not, you know, it's not a horror film. But uh, there were moments where it's like, oh my god, this looks like a giallo film. Mm -hmm. It's the the costumes, incredible. Yeah. I love that aesthetic. I love that Italian seventies aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous, beautiful. And finally, our final film. We have a film that wasn't released this year, but it will be released with a new restoration this year by BFI. It is Dance Craze from nineteen eighty one, directed by Joe Massa, and it is simply a concert film of various ska bands uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. It features Bad Manners, The Beat, The Body Snatchers, Madness, The Selector and The Specials. Yeah, we wanted to give this a special shout out because it's a genre of music that we love. Yeah. We are from Coventry, which was very much the home of two-tone music. And um, we love these bands. And at the end of the day... You know, let, let's make something very clear. With a concert film, you if you don't love the music, you ain't going to love the film. Yeah. 
but we wanted to give a special shout out because it is getting a new restoration. I hope it gets a new Blu-ray release. It is getting a new Blu-ray release. Did you say that? BFI, yeah. Yeah, I, I was. I swear I was listening. Um, <laughs> and we love we love these bands. Maybe not Madness, but we Maybe you know the selector all bad manners actually. Um, but you know it it's a, a document of a time in history that we it was very important. Yeah. It really, you know, manages to capture what I can imagine the energy and the atmosphere would have been like of that era as well. Mm. Um, very well shot. You know, this, I knew about this film from when I was very young. I knew about the reputation it had and how it was such a fantastic concert film. And it really is, um, you know, it, it, yeah, it's just great. I mean, there's, there's not a lot you, more you can say. What I will say is, I'm glad it includes the Body Snatchers, because they are so underrated. Uh, an all-female ska band from Coventry. Um, and they actually provide some of the best performances of the film. They're fantastic. Yeah, just as much as the recommending the film, we recommend the, the artists. Yeah. You know, go on Spotify, have a listen to The Selector. You know, the, Featuring uh, the previous specials. podcast star Pauline Black Pauline from Black. Uh, Funny Man. <laughs> yes. That is true. But I I think concert films, as, as much as, you know, maybe more than narrative films, are a slice of, you know, the, the time period it was from. Yeah. It's, you know, it's... Music is a huge part of our culture. Mm-hmm. Massive. And particularly at that point where a lot of people's style and personality mm-hmm. was based on the music that they love. Yeah. You had your, you know, rock, what's the one from Codrophenia? Uh, mods. Mods and, and rockers. And, you know, the, the music you listened to was a huge part of your personal, still to this day, yeah. um, but more music's more readily available now. Yeah. So it's, it's less of a, a sort of personality trait. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then, it's almost like a, a time capsule of that time. Yeah. More, more than in, obviously documentaries, but maybe even more than documentaries, mm-hmm. these concert films and seeing the crowd and seeing these real people and their reaction to this music. Very, very interesting. Very, very sort of um, historically interesting. Yeah. Too, really. And as with uh, our usual episodes, we do have an award section. We do, yes. <laughs> and Biggest Queen starts it off, and I would like to give it to So Young in Rice Boy Sleeps. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. What a, a wonderful, strong character. Um, very, very well acted, too. Um, yeah, absolutely, Queen. A Biggest Gasp. I give it to the big turnaround moment in The Beasts. Yes. Yes, I, I agree. And um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, can't say much more about it. <laughs> can't say much more about it. <laughs> for one episode only, swapping biggest, uh, biggest dialogue, best dialogue for biggest tearjerker for the saddest film of the festival that really got you in the feels. It has to be Rice Boy Sleeps. It, yeah, very, very emotional. I, I did. I'm not a crier and I was very close. <laughs> I'm not a crier with films. Put that on the DVD case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris Barker. I'm not a crier, but this almost got me. And finally, that's camp. Oh, I mean, it's tempting to give it to Lemon Cita, but it's got to go to the performances and band for me. 
Yeah, that is high camp. But I do Penelope Cruz. <laughs> yeah. Slayage was high camp. I mean, the moment the film starts, there's some song and dance. Number. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm down for this. This can be good. <laughs> I mean, I've got to give it to Ben because the fact that they actually do that in real life for their gigs, yeah, you know, that that's, is, that's that is camp. That is high camp. Do, do you know what would make them even more camp What's if that? they did Eurovision? They should definitely They have Eurovision. to do Eurovision. That's camp. <laughs> so if uh, you were at Glasgow Film Festival this year or if, you know, you just want more recommendations from us, then we are Horrorcourt Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horrorcourt Trash on Twitter. Send us a DM and I'll tell you what film does make me cry. <laughs> You should give your socials away first, then. Oh, my socials are Chris Barker eight two three on Instagram and Letterboxd. I'm Dead at Gaz ninety two on Letterboxd, Gazmo two hundred five on Instagram, and Gazcruise ninety two on Twitter. And we are hosting our own festival this year. So if you're in Manchester on June seventeenth and eighteenth, come along. It's Gas Horror Film Festival. And for all the details, it's Gasp Horror Fest across all social media. Yeah, we'd love for you to give us a taste of our own medicine. Come watch, <laughs> watch the uh, go to the film festival and do a podcast episode on your top ten films from that. Yeah, as long as you're only going to say nice things, please do. Okay, uh, yeah, top ten, top ten, best, best. Um, well, they're all they're all five stars, obviously. Give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Like and follow on FN House. Next week, we'll be back on Tuesday talking about the much requested Extra. <laughs> yeah. I think we're in for a treat. I think so. Um, a if... film that I, I will spoil a bit of trivia for you. A oh. film that has no hidden meanings. It was literally just a bunch of people on cocaine making a weird alien film. And you. You know how I love to uh, go way too in depth. Yeah, no film. point. No point. No There's point. no layers. I'm not even going to think about it. Just it is what it is. It's going to be difficult, but I'll give it a go. We could just guess how much drugs the filmmakers were on during certain scenes. That'd be fun. Keep a tally. Back same time, same place on Tuesday. Bye. Bye.